and welcome to this edition of G220 Radio. My name is Mike, and Ricky is not with us tonight. He had a busy weekend, had to work today. It just sometimes you just need a night to take a breath, to take a breather and relax. And so that is what he's doing. And so we wish him a relaxing Tuesday. But nonetheless, the show must go on. And so I am here and we are going to be discussing Proverbs chapter 23, verses 24 to the end of the chapter, which is verse 35. And we will be looking at this like we do every time we come into Proverbs, exegetically, also biblical, with like a biblical theology, and also consider how this works out systematically in our in our theology. We want all of those to come together when we come to the text. That helps us to meditate and to think, but also to apply, whether we need to change our mind about who God is as we're being informed or maybe not change our mind or more of a refining of our mind on who God is or even commands that we should be obeying and thinking about. And those can come in many different ways. And the Proverbs helps us because being more on the practical end of the book, the Proverbs help us to live in God's world. We like to start off our shows kind of reminding us just the importance of Proverbs, that the Proverbs are pithy statements that God has given to us based on his law to live in his world. So they reflect the moral law and how we are to live. They give us wisdom to live. And we know that we can go to God in wisdom. We can read the Proverbs and we can pray to God for help and understanding in these things. But we should recognize also just the the pithiness of these statements. There is an intentional being vague in them that they can be applicable in different spheres of life, different ways of life. And when we group them together, they can help us to better understand how we are to live. I think it's one thing great about Proverbs is that you can meditate on one proverb and go really deep and to think about it and have applications. But just thinking about that proverb in context with the other proverbs around there can also be an exercise in which we can see new applications of these truths. And so Proverbs is a very important book in the life of a disciple is one that we should be regularly thinking about and meditating on. I think a lot of us can acknowledge or heard people say you should read a proverb a day, one chapter. You know, you might only do 28 in February, might do 30, you know, in April and June and September and November. But just the repetitive na- nature of the Psalms helps. I guess there's only 30 Psalms now that I think about it. And I should have caught that earlier. So you have an, you read an extra Psalm or a proverb on, you know, the 31st day, but I digress. And 
the Proverbs are good in just this way, to make us think about the world we live in, think about our own lives, and to think about how, in one sense, we are to consider others. Uh, there are lots of these kind of ideas that we are to find wisdom and search wisdom. But there's some of these things like in us finding wisdom and going to people who are wiser than us. There are others, whether we want to believe it or not, that are not as wise as we are. And then we are then on that receiving end in which we can give godly wisdom to those who don't have the wisdom. And so Proverbs gives us the both and, the ones that are going for wisdom, but also sharing our wisdom that we have. And so with that kind of introduction into Proverbs, we are going to start in Proverbs chapter 23, verses 24. I'm going to read these in sections. I feel like they just, they're kind of flow in that way and they're easier to kind of talk through and work through in that way. And so the first section we're going to look at is really a continuation from a couple weeks ago, several weeks ago, when we looked at verses 22 and 23 of Proverbs 23. And just to read all of them in context, so we have it. Verse 22 says, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. So several weeks ago when we covered this, we talked about this first section and this idea of as children, we should be listening to our parents. We should be, as parents, we should be helping our kids and stressing the importance of them listening to their parents. And the the idea of what the parents want for their son or for their children is to seek wisdom, to buy wisdom, to go after it with all that they have. And so we talked about how important this is and just in our lives to be always searching for the truth, especially truth about God and his word. And when we get to then verses 24 and 25, we see the results of a son who listens to his father, who doesn't despise his mother, who buys truth, who buys wisdom, instruction, understanding. What's the, what's the result of it? The result of it is that the father of the righteous rejoice greatly. And the father of the wise son will be glad in him. We see these two examples of the father, the, the one who fathered a wise son, being and rejoicing in the wisdom of his children. And when you read some of the commentaries, especially the older ones, I was looking at Gil and Charles Bridges, and there's really kind of two ways we can understand this. If both of them are kind of valid. This is an excellent part of Proverbs. One we could say is spiritual, and the other one can be maybe defined more as physical, but I think those are not mutually exclusive, that they feed on one another. 
but what the the commentary is saying, I think we should under kind of really understand this that this re great rejoicing and this being glad in a spiritual sense is meaning that the wisdom that the son went after going searching for truth led to a spiritual conversion that in searching for wisdom they found life in god we see jesus talk about how the scriptures that you search for him and and searching kind of for jesus in the scripture you find life we know that the beginning of Proverbs says that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we've talked about what this fear is. This isn't just like I'm afraid fear, though there's an aspect of it, but it's a reverent fear. It's a fear that holds God in his right place. And it is a fear that understands where we belong, a fear that understands our lack of goodness, our lack to stand before God. Now, God is gracious and slow to anger and bounding in steadfast love. And this is important for us to remember, but just think the joy that parents have when their kids come to Christ. Now, the Lord has not saved my two, my, my kids yet. Maybe they're a little old or a little young for it, though God works in mysterious ways. But I've been able to see when a son becomes a believer and the joy of the father, the great joy that is no longer a father and son, but brothers or a father and daughter. And now they're together, united in the family of God. And it is a great thing to be rejoicing of. And I think when we consider then this spiritual aspect and that wisdom and the pursuit of wisdom is the means in which God saves sinners because we can only pursue wisdom when we come to God. We need to recognize our foolishness, acknowledge our foolishness, repent of it, and trust in the Savior. And so the father of the righteous, letting their mother and father be glad, the one born rejoice, and a spiritual aspect can reflect the joy that parents can have when their kids turn to Christ and are saved. And then secondly, I think when we kind of think about it physically, and especially if maybe our kids live a good life, they may not believe, but they, they are in one sense of moral people to use that sense, to kind of use that current vernacular. I think there's an element in which when parents see their children acting wisely in the world, and this could even be believing children, that brings them joy. 
there is a lot of heartache because sin just doesn't affect the person who does the sin. It affects a lot of people. And foolish actions have consequences. They bring about strife and destruction. So when we think about this in, in a physical, in our, in, our, in our physical moral life, there is ones we can rejoice when we act, when our children act wisely, when they are doing what we've called them to do, what we've trained them to do. And it's not maybe as a bigger joy or a greatly joy because the burden of the desire to have them trust in the Savior, maybe more, but to think about and even praising God that even though they're unbelievers, they appear, because they don't fully walk in how God has designed the world. I think we can think of um, Romans 2 and how the Gentiles obeyed the law, even though they were not under the law. We see nations that do not are not given under the covenant of the moral law, obeying the second table of the law of, you know, no murder, no, don't steal. And what that reflects. Again, that joy is not as great as in a spiritual sense, but there is a, I think there is that connection and, and hoping that the, our children are will be saved and will be will be able to rejoice in their in one sense coming wise to salvation as Paul talked about with Timothy and the um him knowing the scriptures being taught by his mother and his grandmother i think the same thing here applies when we think about verses 24 and 25 and so the, we end this section thinking about wisdom and being wise and seeking after truth. Verses 26 and through 28 and verses 29 through 35 reflect then foolishness. First in spiritual or sexual infidelity and then also in drunkenness both a sin of a lack of self-control. And so when we, we consider then Solomon's push for his kids to listen to his father, to seek truth, to buy wisdom, these next two show what happens when our eyes are caught off guard. Our eyes are pulled away from what is true, right, and beautiful. So verse 26 through 28 here in the ESV says, My son, give me your heart. Let your eyes observe my ways. 
for a prostitute, a prostitute is a deep pit. An adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. So verse 26, and it's two parts, starts with a command and an exhortation. The command is for the son to give his father his heart. Here the heart is not obviously kind of the actual organ of the heart, but kind of the the center spiritual aspect of a person. We might be able to say that this reflects the faculties of a person, his knowledge, his emotions, and his will. So the, the call for the son is to give his father his heart, give him his entire being. Again, I think we can see the reflection of this in the calls of Jesus to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This kind of entire being given up. So the son commands, or the father commands the son to give him his entire being, his attention, his heart. And then he exhorts him to observe or to see his ways. And the idea with observe is, is kind of watching this, this dedicated focus to the to what he's doing um it has references of not even just kind of this focus but this kind of pleasure that let your eyes kind of the pleasure in my ways well what ways well the ways of the lord the ways that you're being taught to be wise this kind of coming over and showing what it is to be wise so the command to give himself his his faculties of beings to observe or take pleasure in the preacher's life, Solomon's life, to observe. Why why should the son do that? That's what verses 27, 28 goes. We can see that with the start of four. For a prostitute is a deep well, an adulteress is a narrow, or is a deep pit, and an adulteress is a narrow well. So we see the the adulterous woman again, the, the prostitute, and the idea of what happens when the son is kind of unfaithful. And we see here this idea of a deep pit, a narrow well, which refers to these traps, being stuck, being able, unable to get yourself out, a deep pit too tall for you to climb out, a narrow well is too tight that you can't, can't pull yourself out, you can't work yourself without. So this adulterous woman being caught up in sexual sin leads you to a place in which you cannot get out. 
you're stuck. So that's why the son is to focus on the father's ways, to focus on the wisdom, to give it, give his being to this, this wisdom from the father. Because in doing so, he will not be enticed. He will not look away to the adulterous woman and fall into her trap. Verse 28 continues. So he's stuck. He can't get out. He's in the deep pit, the narrow well. But what does she do? She slides in wait like a robber. Now, to, to kind of think about this, it might not be as evident clear when we think about modern times, but in the ancient times and even in the times of Jesus, you didn't travel at night. And if you did, you traveled it was a risk to do because robbers would wait at night for passerbys to rob them. That was their goal. They, with the sole intention to rob the person. So the adulterous woman is one who, like a robber, waits, waits for the opportunity to spring, to go, to, to entice. And not only does she wait, she increases the traitors among mankind. She morally decays a nation. That is why the son needs to keep his eyes on his father's ways. Because the adulterous woman leads to disasters. It leads to moral destruction and unfaithfulness. And when we, we think about what this means in our lives, the, the media and how it portrays and what it does, always pushing the envelope a little bit more for that little bit for for whatever reason i mean how many times i don't know how many movies where there are just inappropriate scenes in the movie and it, it you know it doesn't need it. it it doesn't it just doesn't need to be there so it is kind of a duty as a parent to think about how do I keep my kids focus on the way of life? How do we train them up in the fear and admiration of the Lord to, to live in this life? And this is difficult in our situation. It's never easy in any situation. But it, it calls us to, to think about us. And even just not only the, the physical parent-child relationship, what about us spiritually? Do we have our eyes directed to the Lord and observing his ways? 
have we fully given ourselves as the the greatest commandment says to love the god with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind or might in deuteronomy have we done that kind of thinking through this immediately and rightly you think of peter he is on the boat with the other 12. They see Jesus walking on the water. Peter attempts to walk on water, and he is walking on water when he's focused on Christ. He He's focused. But when his eyes are shifted from Christ, he starts to sink. And he needs to be saved by Christ. He needs to, to be brought back in. And we know that the prophets oftentimes called Israel spiritual adulterers as they sought after foreign gods. Idolatry is is that. And and like so this is not just physically and, and the corruption that comes from sexual immorality. This is even when we consider our own idols, when we we prop up others or the creation, other things, a God made in our own image above the true God and serve him. It leads us down moral perversion. It leads us away from godliness and to all types of sensualities. And so while we can we can look at the world around us and there is this physical application that in our in kind of space and time we live in, it also applies to how are we living our lives before the eyes of God. God knows all, sees all. He is much more knowledgeable than I as a parent of my kids' sins. He knows all my sins. He knows when my eyes are not observing his ways and I have sought after idols. So verses 26 through 28 not just physically explains how spiritual or how sexual immorality destroys a nation as it plummets into moral depravity, it also reflects our own hearts and desires when we chase after the flashy things of this world, the idols that we think will make it better for us. I think... I mean, that's really what all this comes down to. Who are you going to worship? Who are you going to focus your eyes on? Is it going to be God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Spirit? Or are you going to create an idol in your mind? 
and you're going to exchange the worship of God for a creature. And likewise, when we consider verses 29 through 35, is, again, looking at self-control in the first time in, in not only sexual morality, but spiritual idolatry, the idolatries of the hearts, the sins when we, we promote our own acts as a pseudo-God before the true God. Um, Solomon spends much more time here thinking about drunkenness. And as, as we work through this, we'll realize that this isn't just kind of, I accidentally drank too much one night. This is portraying someone who is given over to drunkenness who lives a lifestyle of drunkenness what we would call an alcoholic one who finds relief and comfort or tries to in adult privileges so starting in verse 29 here in chapter proverbs chapter 23 solomon writes who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who is complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, and it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adler. Your eyes will see strange things, and your hearts will utter perverse things. You will be like the one who lies down in the midst of the sea and like the one who lies on top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me and I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Verse 29 starts off with the repetitive question of who. Who has woe? Who has sorrows? Who has strife? And as we read through this, they get more and more deep. One is with woe. Now it's a sorrow. It causes strife. He's complaining. Wounds without a cause. The redness of an eye. There is a, a, a progression of this kind of sorrow leading into a, a bitterness, a hatred. Who has wetness of eyes is kind of hard to understand. Commentators kind of don't understand. It almost feels like a little bit to me is kind of someone being angry. It's kind of how I'm taking it. That, you know, wounds without a cause. Like there's this kind of continual progression of um, anger being over. So verse 29 takes this idea is this woe that one has is now this 
deep wound without cause. Someone has felt like they've been really hurt by someone or something. And so who is this person that it starts out as a woe and ends with this, this wound without a cause? Well, it's the one who tarries long over wine, who goes, tries mixed wine. It's the one who, who seeks after alcohol to solve their problems. This kind of Terry idea is um, kind of reaffirms, revert, um, is one who like takes too long. They're, they're hesitant. So they're, they are, they're just not, it's not just a, a drink at dinner time idea, but one who is um, delaying giving up or stopping drinking. They, they're, they're going too long. They, they're going to the mixed drink. And so the, the alcoholic is without self-control continuing to drink, continuing to go back. And so verse 31 gives us a command to, to think about, don't look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. Don't in, in a sense, don't focus on, on the drink. Don't focus on kind of its color. It's, you know, what it looks like the being enticed by it. Again, we 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 think about verse 26 and having our eyes focused on the teacher, focused on God. Here, the again, the focus is shift to the alcohol. It's shifted to what it what it looks like. And you know, where, um, how it tastes going down, it's smoothness, it sparkles, you're being enticed by it. But just like the adulterous woman, drunkenness has the same issues. Verse there too, in the end, it bites like a serpent. It stings like an Adler. It has, it, it destroys. So, this lifestyle of drunkenness brings about destruction. It it kills the the bite of a serpent. The sting of an Adler is not just oh I got bitten by a snake. We're talking about something poisonous, something that will that can kill you in contact. So, in the end. <clears throat> just as this the adulterment traps you in the deep wells and the or the deep pits and the narrow wells here alcohol strikes you like a poisonous snake it looks all it's red it sparkles it goes down smooth it's deceptive because it's hiding its trap 
So my pastor always sin says sin is deceptive. It promises you joy and gives you death. And we see that here in verses 29 through 32, that the sin of um, drunkenness brings about death. Well, how does it bring about death? As we consider here again in verse 33, your eyes will see strange things and you, uh, your heart will utter perverse things. You, you can't see straight. You can't see right. You can't speak right. You, you have no filter. You say, you speak your thoughts without considering what will happen. You speak sin. And so your eyes are deceiving you. You're, you're acting and saying bad things. You then to continue on, you'll be like the one who lies down in the midst of a sea. The commentators all agree. This is kind of the idea of the, the staggering walking. You can't walk straight. Everything is kind of moving and shifting. It's, it's very much, maybe you've experienced this um, when you've been on a boat for a while, especially kind of on a cruise and you start walking on land and the land, your body, it can't see straight. And, Things are moving up and down. Though you're on the land and they're not moving, your your eyes and your mind are perceiving it differently. This is the same thing here in verse 34. Is one who is, is covered by drunkenness can't see straight. Everything is moving like it's on the sea. Can't lay down. There's There's no... You're always moving again, like one who lies on the top of the mast. Again, it's something in the ocean is being swayed back and forth. It's not still. They're not seeing straight. They cannot, you know, kind of go in the right direction. And so. Again, they are unable to control themselves. <clears throat> and not only that, not only can they not control themselves, they, they can't see straight. Everything is moving. There's no settling. They turn around and they say in verse 35, they struck me, but I was not hurt. They beat me and I feel it. That in a time in which they would defend themselves, as one commentator was saying, they, they kind of take it. They don't, they don't feel pain. They don't, they don't, again, they're just not, operating or having the control over their bodies. <clears throat> and people attack them. They get hurt, but they don't feel it. They just don't 
They're not recognizing what it is. And then they ask themselves, when shall I awake? This kind of desiring to sleep, to be, um, in one sense, comatose. And in one sense, a, an act of an act of laziness that comes with it. But at the end, when they wake up, and as this chapter ends, I must have another drink. And the cycle repeats itself. Woes become wounds without sores. They tarry too long over the drink. They marvel at its color. They marvel at its smoothness. It's sparkling in the in the glass. And in the end, they are bitten again by the dangers of sin. And so we think about this and consider the consider what Paul has to tells us about this. When we think about <clears throat> having self-control, about being kind of um, drunk, And, and what it does, that we lose control. So Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So Proverbs here at the end of chapter 23 shows us what happens when we are drunk, when we get drunk with wine. But what does that mean? And if we look just before in Ephesians 15, we're to watch how we walk and not to be wise, making the best use of our times because it's evil. So don't, don't be foolish. Well, what does it mean to be foolish? It, well, he gives us an example. Verse 18, don't get drunk. But what? Be filled by the Spirit. Don't be drunk. Don't let kind of alcohol control you. But let the spirit control you. Again, it, it this verse, when we think about it in context of 22 through 25, and even verses in verse 26, to think about, okay, what is controlling me? Is it this appetite, drunkenness, alcohol, or is it the spirit? Am I being led to this sin versus am I being filled by the Spirit? And how do we know we're being filled by the Spirit? Well, Paul tells us in 19, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always 
and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So to be filled with the Spirit is to bring one that brings honor to the Lord and encouragement and submitting to one another. And so when we, we think about Proverbs, and as we kind of end this show, it's always good to remember that the Bible helps us to not only think about our sin, but also calls us to not only repent, but to put on something else. Don't be drunk. Be filled with the Spirit. And the Proverbs helps us also to think about the what shows up physically also has a spiritual application to us. And that is why it is good for us to study the Proverbs and to think about these things. And that has been our show for tonight. But thank you for joining us here at G220 Radio. If you enjoyed this, I'll just do the normal spiel that everyone else says. Uh, like, subscribe, share it with others. Um, hopefully, you have learned a lot. You have things to think about and to dwell on as we seek the things above us. And kind of to remember, let's remember to give our hearts fully to God, to do what he's called us to do, to love and to obey him and to enjoy him forever, because that is the chief end of man. Thank you. Good night.